Welcome to episode 133 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly off-topic podcast. I'm Mike Solosi, and I'm your host for today. I've hosted a bunch of these in a row, so I apologize for you guys being tired of my voice already. But you're stuck with me, and guess who else you're stuck with? <laughs> Starting with Chris Bauer. Hello. And also, making his first appearance on Retro Encounter, Greg Delmage. Hello, hello. Now, um... Some months ago, when I was first planning the Zelda month uh, for Retro Encounter, um, I wanted one episode to be chosen by a public poll, and I, th- I put uh, and I we already decided we wanted to do a Link's Awakening episode, which uh, Chris, you and I recorded two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did a public poll with four or five choices on it, and maybe sli- I was a little surprised. Uh, a winner by more than fifteen clear percentage points was the Minish Cap the Game Boy Advance Zelda game from, I want to say, 2003-2004-ish, right? Or or 04? Yeah. Right to me. This is 03, I believe. 03, 04, yeah, something like that. Okay, right right around there. And um, it's the Game Boy Advance Legend of Zelda title from, I'm I'm going to Google it because I want to know now. Yep, it is is late 2004, early 2005. Wow, I thought it was 03. There you go. uh, Never listen to me. Right, so it, I guess it came out right when I, right when I uh, had started college, because I, I remember playing it in college, but I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure exactly when it came out, because I, sometimes I get to Nintendo stuff late, because I mean, I, I was, you know, I, money was definitely a factor for what games I could buy when I was in university, and uh, uh, ditto. Yeah, and Nintendo stuff never drops in price fast, never. That stuff will stay. Those Game Boy Advance games stayed at thirty bucks for like five years before going down to twenty-five or whatever. So I, 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 I remember playing Minish Cap in my dorm room, but I was not sure exactly when it came out. But it turns out that answer is November in Japan and Europe and January in North America. So um, I played the Minish Cap basically, oh, I, I started it right at the beginning of April and finished it over about two weeks. Um, did you guys play it for this episode, or are, you, are we running on memory fumes here? Uh, starting with you, Greg. Uh, I did play it for this episode. Um, I first played Minish Cap way back when I got my original DS, uh, back when microplays were still a thing in Ontario. Uh, I rented it along with a few other games to test out, and I really liked it, but uh, didn't get the chance to go back and buy it due to similar reasons. I was starting university around that time as well, just didn't have the budget for it. Uh, So I jumped at the chance to go back to it. I've had it on the Wii U virtual console for a little while. So this was just a great excuse to play, and I pumped through it all last week. And just finished it this morning. <laughs> cool. And Chris, how about you? Uh, I had never played Minish Cap uh, before. I didn't have a Game Boy Advance or a DS that could play any Game Boy Advance games until I was in college, so way later. And really, it was like 2011 when I, when I got my DS light and started hunting down some GBA games. And I had picked up Minish Cap actually about a year ago. Uh, oh. just I found a cheap card on eBay that I was willing to pick up kind of thing. I have probably a thousand tabs and things watched when it comes to eBay for just that reason of like, well, that's cheap enough now. Maybe I'll pick it up. And then played through the first two dungeons and then got sidetracked. And when this episode came around, I saw it as a really good excuse slash opportunity to finally go and finish the game. Right on. 
So um, this is my second time playing. Again, I played it when I was in college in early 2005, I think. I'm trying to think of how I got it because I, I was, you know, trying to play backlog games during that time because I, I didn't have a ton of purchasing power mm -hmm. as a, as a you know, 18, 19-year-old college student. But I think what happened, because my, my birthday is, in, is near the beginning of the year, so I think I took birthday money and, brought, and bought it is what happened. Because I, I, I have specific memories of... Um, of playing it and then going on to aim to talk of, to talk to one of my friends about it that was also playing it around the same time, uh, <laughs> but this is the same friend memory. That, yeah, this, this, this is the it. same friend that I played Link's Awakening and the Oracle games with that I mentioned two episode uh, two episodes ago, Chris. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. But, yeah, but we were on different uh, in different sides of the country at this point. So anyway, this is my second time playing the game. It, I I played it 13 years ago and remember liking it, but forgot honestly forgot quite a a, a few aspects to this game in the intervening 13 years uh, before finishing it a day or two ago. Um, so now, Chris, I'm going to pick on you a little bit because you said this Do is it. your first time playing. Uh, what is your general impression of what the game of what the game is and how it compares to your other favorite Zelda games? Just general positive, negative. Uh, what is maybe what's one particular strength? Okay, first of the impression. Game? First impression of what I really liked about the game in terms of what why I hunted it down was it's always had. I've always heard of it, and I think I mentioned this to you in our last recording of a Zelda that. A lot of people love it, and I've heard a lot of people hate on this game. It's, uh, I'm not saying critically, I just mean in, in personal feedback about this game over the years. I've always heard very, very mixed things. So I, in a weird way, kind of always thought of it as like a weird stepchild of the Zelda franchise. And that, in a similar way, is why I love Majora's Mask. I was like, this game sounds like it would be right up my alley. Love the art style, first and foremost. I really have to say, I think that the sprite work and the cel-shaded, very Wind Waker, or trying to ape the Wind Waker aesthetic look, it works really well. And I love how much animation is in this game. Uh, yeah. There's so much just unnecessary, in a good way, uh, animation that just fleshes out how otherwise, I think, simple this game would come across in a lot of ways. And simple not in terms of mechanic, Simple in that it doesn't feel very long. It's actually, it feels like the shortest Zelda game I've ever played. And it actually might have hour-wise been shorter than Link's Awakening. I can't really tell. But because it's only, what, six dungeons really overall? Maybe six and a half? I'm trying to think. I know there's a lot of, there's a ton of side content in this game. Uh, yeah, there's the a, there's only six there are only six dungeons and so like they're six um, proper dungeons. Yeah, they're, so they're, it feels so much quicker. Even though getting two dungeons can be a lot more tedious than in other games, but uh, yeah, I, I have to say I really like the the items that you collect throughout. Uh, this is pretty solid inventory, but nothing special, which is you know the one downside always to Zelda games that you're kind of always getting the same items, except for. In this, the glorious upgrade to the Rock's Feather, which yes. just makes me so happy. But uh, And you, you told me, you had warned me about this cape, that I was going to like this cape. And you were right. Um, cape it, the funny thing is, I, I warned you by accident. I forgot the Rock's Cape was in this game. The Rock's Cape is, uh, intro was introduced first in uh, Oracle of Seasons, 
which, yes. uh, which yes, I am, I yeah, yet. which I have a an ongoing playthrough uh, that I have been working on for off and on for about a month. But I completely forgot that it came back in uh, in Minish Cap, so it was a bit of a surprise when I uh, when it's like, wait a second, this, these are jumping puzzles. Am I getting is is, is is this is this the rock's feather again? And it was the rock's cape, and uh, and, and they and they yeah, and they gave it more of a uh, the they allow you to do a double jump straight up, and there's obviously more 3D in this game than uh, than there is in yes. in Oracle of Seasons. So I uh, I or I have, ages yeah or ages. So it's a very um. Uh, I, I was a little surprised by that. I, I completely forgot about the Gus Jar and the Cane of Pachi, mm -hmm. and, a, and a lot of this was just completely n not totally new to me, because parts of it did come back, but I think when I played this 13 years ago, I had a lot of other stuff going on, and it's, this game sort of just sort of went in my brain and then straight back out, so... Uh, I don't want to say it was like a fresh play, uh, like a fresh playthrough um, this time no, around. No, but it, but it definitely has curveballs to the formula that it, at this point, I feel like if, if anyone who's at least played a couple Zeldas would be able to say like, okay, it does something different, and that actually goes a long way with a franchise like this. Right. Okay. And um, Greg, what are your uh, what was your impression from um, playing through? I guess the second half of this game for the first time. But what's uh, your all feeling um, following completing the game? Uh, great. <laughs> uh, I have played through both Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons uh, over the past couple of years. I, I think it was last year or the year before I beat them both, did the whole, the, all the crossover material because they were on special on the 3DS virtual shop. Both of you. Took advantage of that still. Yeah, well, sure I, mean, I, I mean, it's an old favorite of mine. I, I've played, sure I've did. played both of them at least two or three times each, and uh, but I'm, I'm revisiting them at following, taking advantage of that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they were they were, I enjoyed them, uh, like for being they uh, they do have a different flavor than what Nintendo strictly blings on its own with the Capcom vibe. There's yeah. uh, you can definitely see where they're pulling in various Nintendo inspirations, like a for the sake of pardon. <laughs> Like the random <laughs> yeah. lackadoos that yeah. just are there at the end game. Well, yeah, or like let's throw in some bombs. Like they just yeah. throw in a bunch of random nods to the series, also to uh, other Nintendo franchises, and mm. like you know, especially with the the jumping mechanics and such too, to give it a little bit of that Mario vibe, especially in those two. So yeah, seeing that brought back in a 3D kind of realm was neat. Seeing how they brought back a lot of yeah the Wind Waker flavor from art, some of the stuff from. Link to the Past. They're just kind of mashing up a lot of stuff into one big nostalgia yeah. package and making it gorgeous, like you said, with all the um, all the beautiful sprite work and the fleshed oh, yeah. out details, Cap the dangly Capcom, bits. Cap Capcom had the best sprites in the late 90s and early 2000s. They're, uh, I mean, we did a, in a few episodes on Breath of Fire 4 a few months ago, and, uh, and Alana and I were marveling at those beautiful Capcom sprites. And this is from um, a mix... This was not Capcom Team 1. This was some... Capcom staff and mostly flagship staff, which was a second-party developer that worked for Capcom. But I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, uh, but what else? No jumped up. Can jumped I add one thing to that quickly? That mm -hmm. sorry, Greg, that you just no. you just made me think about because you're so yeah. right. Is that what is so charming to me about this game is that it seems to be this wonderful cornucopia of many Zelda games and clearly pulling from all of them. Like uh, like you had mentioned. Uh, as I had before, the whole the art style is very Wind Waker to me, but direct characters and sound effects or sound cues are pulls from Ocarina of Time. Um, 
and a well, and a few from Wind Waker well, as well. I think. Yeah, too. no, yes, and from Wind Waker as well. Now, granted, I'm sure that the other Game Boy games I missed potentially had those pulls as well. Um, so. they didn't have they the didn't sound. Really have they, did, they didn't have the sound effects. The yeah. uh, Game Boy Advance version of A Link to the Past did. They added some, uh, some, really? s- yeah, some sound effects from. Uh, I-, I think they're probably from Young Link's uh, voice work in sure. uh, in in Ocarina of Time, but they did add. Some... So they don't do like a Pona song randomly whenever no. time you know you're no, talking to. <laughs> no, not not, not like <laughs> okay. that. Just the mostly just uh just Link doing shout noises and stuff. And this, but yeah. it's only yeah, in the okay. Game Boy Advance version of a Link to the Past. Huh. That does. But so, this one, yeah, we got those but... characters from Lon Lon as well from Ocarina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the music of being in a house or in a store, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. just like Old straight, straight ocarina and all this other stuff from yep. pulling from different games that are, yes, this theme from here, this theme from here. I just love that kind of... So with its own spin, too. Yeah, of course. You are yeah. going to say, Mike? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of that started with the Oracle duo of games because um, going back to the developers of this, it was developed by um, Capcom and Flagship with supervision from various Nintendo staff. And Flag- yeah. Flagship was... Uh, was um, a Capcom studio, and when it ended up going out of business in the mid two thousands, they uh, the, all of the employees folded back either into Nintendo or Capcom, and it they mostly yeah. did like 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 ports and sequels to um, to Capcom games, but they did do three Legend of Zelda games, the Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, and Minish Cap. And there's really I think there's sort of three interesting people attached to Flagship that we should bring up in conjunction with this game. The the studio founder, Yoshiki Okamoto, did not work on Minish Cap, but after uh, after Flagship folded, he formed his own company to make mobile games, and one of them was extremely successful, called Mo- Monster Strike, which was making, uh, which made over a billion dollars in 2016. It was one of the most popular. Cheapers. It was one of the most popular mobile games in Japan for uh, for its window of success there. Um, second of all, a guy you might have heard of, Keiji Inafune, a longtime Capcom producer and creator yeah. of uh, one of the co-creators of Mega Man was had been with the cat with the company for ages. He left under, you know, not the happiest circumstances several years what? ago. Um, and he totally uh, didn't throw a middle finger to everyone when he left that yeah, company. Yeah, a little bit. He didn't. He did not leave on great terms. But he was a producer yeah. on the Minish Cap. I don't know exactly how much influence he had with it. But uh, he he's right there in the credits. But maybe the most important and most interesting chap um, working on the Minish Cap is Hidemaro Fujibayashi. He was a longtime Capcom guy who uh, worked on flat with flagship on games like Resident Evil 2. Then he was the lead director and writer for Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, and Minish Cap. So I think that a lot of the okay. design ideas that those games have in common are through him, or at least yeah. There's definitely a lot of a big through line through all three of them. I definitely found a lot of similarities playing through this, going like, oh yeah, this just totally feels like this in Oracle and this and because okay. wasn't there a Gus Jar in one of them as well? I, I feel like that was. A, I don't a, think so. I think Gus Jar is. I think the Gus Jar is new to this one. Um, the Rock's Cape just, was okay. in Oracle of. Was in Oracle of. Yeah, the uh, or was the uh, feather, and then it upgraded if you did the cross yeah, over between yes. the two or something. No, um, no. Uh, in in Oracle uh, of in Oracle, in Oracle of Seasons, um, you get the Rock's feather in an early dungeon, and it upgrades to the Rock's cape in Dungeon Seven. Okay, in, that's what I'm thinking. In, in Oracle of Ages, it's only the Rock's feather and does not upgrade in that game. <laughs> But in oh, the, okay. That's yeah, what I'm thinking. And, and in Mish, Minish Cap, you just get the Rock's Cape. Do not does not do yeah. a Rock's Feather thing. But but a lot of items upgrade when you um, transfer from one game to the next, including the sword, 
and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, a bunch of stuff. I'd have to check a list, but I, I don't remember if, too, there's, but... if there's a Gus Jar in another game. I thought this was the first time we have one. It might be, and I just might be remembering back to when I played that one way back when. I just thought it felt familiar. That's all I know. But it's probably because I did play a little bit into the first dungeon when I rented it back in the day. But at any rate, uh, yeah. So. It just it has a lot going for it and a lot of similarities where you can see that they laid the groundwork for how they wanted to do their take on the Legend of Zelda series. And as uh, Chris said, that it's it kind of feels like Legend of Zelda light in a lot of ways because it is a very quick condensed zip through. But there is a lot of side stuff to go chasing around if you want to do that with the kinstones with uh, yeah. Um, oh no, and we'll talk about Kinstones, but um, but oh, back, right. but yeah. back to back to Fujibayashi-san. Um, he was yes. he was the director for those three flagship games, and then he joined. Uh, he moved over to Nintendo instead of staying with Capcom after the studio folded. So he was one of the writers for um, Phantom Hourglass for the DS, and then he was the oh. lead, then he was the lead director and writer for Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild. So, Jesus. Breath of the Wild, the one of the biggest, most popular Zelda games ever, and a, and um, it it was you know recognized very highly in our favorite Zelda episode from three weeks ago. Uh, it was directed by the guy who made those three weird Capcom games. So um, I like it. Uh, the, the, so this guy who didn't didn't necessarily get his start with those Zelda games. He was with Capcom for several years before then. But uh, there is a direct through line from those Oracle games and the game we're talking about today all the way to Breath of the Wild. And he's one of the current architects of what Zelda is, if not, if not the most important one other than Miyamoto. So, well, he proved his pedigree for sure. So yeah, but this, right. is, so this is the, uh, the early Zelda work of the Breath of the Wild director. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to try and, and make a comparison from Minish Cap to Breath of the Wild because I, th- I think uh, they're in a way opposite ends of the Zelda spectrum because Breath of the Wild really um, sells its vastness and uh, and it's about exploring a huge space and uh, and all the density and the all of the activity within that space. While Minish Cap is, I mean, I mean, I mean, has many right in the title. It's one of the smallest Zelda maps in the series. And, yeah, it shocked um, me. And it's a, it's very dense. It has the it has forty four heart pieces in a very small space, which is something like tied for third for the most heart pieces in a Zelda game. It's a there's a lot of stuff to collect. Uh, I guess we could argue different levels of uh, minimalism. One in in its vastness. One in its just tiny friggin' map. And, <laughs> and also, and also, and, then and also, the there, there's its, yeah, yeah, there's its, uh, yeah, there's its. Uh, I mean, its signature gimmick of of Link shrinking down to mini size and exploring some spaces in a different way. Which so is very charming. Oh yeah, it is charming. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I I I sort of like the sound effects that all of the all of the Minish people make. These these, these very high, these sort of high pitched like animal yeah. animal like gnome characters. Whatever. Yeah. It's, it's very it's very cute. Navi. Let's say that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I would call uh, I would call Eslo much more entertaining than Navi. Than Navi. That's uh, why I said much more palatable. But it's yeah, got yes. that high-pitched we, kind of thing going. But we had not name-dropped Ezlo yet, the guy who squeaks kind of like a goose. But he's, you know, he's the uh, <laughs> he's a Link's talking hat. Uh, early in the game, um, a disaster strikes. A mysterious guy named Vati turns the Princess Zelda into stone and makes his intentions to, you know, control the ultimate power of the world evident. And Link, tri- um, you know, uh, v- v- vows to stop him. Goes to the woods and sees a magical talking hat on to. the ground. Yeah, doesn't have a choice. Says, only he's a, a cat. He's a kid. Can see the yeah the minish. Mm-hmm. 
Right, and uh, then the the talking head is Ezlo, who was a former Minish wizard, who uh, and Vati was his former apprentice, and now they team up to stop Vati in this condensed version of Hyrule. So uh, that leads you to the first shrine, in, the first shrine. I'm sorry, I've been playing too much Breath of the Wild recently. The first dungeon of the game, which is called the Deepwood Shrine, and uh, what are your such relaxing I, music there? It did have nice music. Um, did, uh, Chris, what was your first impression of the Deepwood Shrine? Uh, Deepwood Shrine I wasn't very, uh, unfortunately, especially having just, kind of like Greg, I beat the game this morning on the subway, so I'm kind of more obsessed with uh, the Dark Hyrule Castle. I don't really have <laughs> much of a memory of that first dungeon. I, I would say it took me a little while to recognize when I would need to shrink down for something. And actually realized, like, okay, that's how they want me to focus on the puzzle here. But I felt like the first dungeon was really straightforward. There was nothing really difficult. I uh, kind of really don't remember anything much about it except for the boss, which I found really charming. That it was just because you're a tiny person. Yeah. Uh, choo-choo, or whatever those things are called. What are those called? No, no, called? It's, it's a choo-choo, yeah. yeah I, choo-choo, I, I, yeah. I guess this time it would have been a green choo-choo. <laughs> yeah, green choo-choo just dripping through the ceiling and reforming itself or falling through. And, uh, yeah, I thought that that, again, that, as Greg, you mentioned, the whole playing with size and the charm that that really, really allows to come through with, oh, this thing that normally takes you two seconds to kill, well, now we can make it actually a big baddie. And yeah. perspective, and, new circumstances, just, go have fun. The way they use, like, the the graphical prowess of their sprite work and such, like... Uh, the, the 3D environments of like I'm in this rolling barrel and it, yeah the, the, the 3D yeah. the 3D of that barrel impressed me the first uh, when I cool. revisited that mm-hmm. and and, um, uh, that, and again it goes back to its usual gimmicks of like find X treasure to make X thing easier to explore and use oh, yeah. it to fight the boss so we're in that kind of old scheme but it's nice oh, to yeah, have that they, familiarity. Um, yeah, I mean, talking about Zelda formula, we did a, an episode all about that last week. But this is the most traditional of the Zelda formula: find the find the signature treasure, uh, solve puzzles with the signature treasure, find the boss key, and then defeat the boss. And the treasure is involved in fighting the boss. Use gust mm-hmm. jars on toadstools. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, I liked that mechanic the first time. No, the, I, mean, I think the gust jars is, is a neat thing. Boring. But especially the first time, I was like, "Okay, this is something different," which I like. I like <laughs> it's a little it. tedious as a as a, um, a motorboat, but otherwise, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. When you're doing the lily pad stuff. Oh it's yeah. A- <laughs> and I did. I didn't even think about using the gust jar. The gust jar comes back of all places in the final boss of the game. So they do. Yeah. They do a pretty good job of yeah. making of making these um, items useful yeah, throughout the entire game. But both the I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, both the yeah. cane of Pachi and the Gust Jar were, uh, it's, it's like, it's like, man, how am I supposed to get access, access this boss? Oh, the freaking cane of Pachi? Are you kidding? But, um, right. Yeah. I, I thought the, I thought that this dungeon was very charming, very cute. It wasn't, it wasn't overly challenging or too pathetically easy. Like the gnarled root dungeon in the uh, Oracle of seasons, but it looked pretty. Like that's really the most I could say about it. I liked the lighting and, and I thought it was designed it, well, but it, nothing really memorable to me. And um, I, I like that it did the Yoshi's Island thing of turning a regular enemy giant for a boss fight. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And 
Um, and honestly, I was a little disappointed that they only did that um, in two dungeons in the uh, in the uh, uh, in the Deepwood Shrine and the Temple of Droplets later. Uh, yeah, and then I, they kind of brought I, him back as a mini boss. It's the same damn point, thing. The lightning chew, but yeah, hmm. nothing. They could have done some. Yeah, more, I, sure. I, I would have rather this was like you know four out of six bosses instead of two. But it was, but it's still it's a cool gimmick, and it was a uh, pretty impressive the very first time you see it. Although I, mm. I think it's interesting that I don't know how the builders of this dungeon planned for a choo-choo to walk in from the outside and defend the essence <laughs> because otherwise it's just an empty room. I was like, what if there isn't a, what if, what if there isn't a giant monster around to fall in? But yeah. The, uh, or was um, it just supposed to be a happenstance? Like the essence was just supposed to be there and you're just supposed to go through the trials and tribulations. But I, when you start know, looking man. too hard into the logic of dungeon design in any it's of those games, game as yeah. video game, let it be as yeah. such. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, like it's it's a it's a weird hole to travel down. Um, if you're thinking about the architecture of dungeons of dungeons in video games, there's yes. way too many, uh, way too many you know plot holes that oh go unfilled. That but, reminds uh, but me, I, I thought it was, in I thought it was a, with mm-hmm. printed maps for uh, oh, yeah. like early early first person shooters, and when you would see the layouts of a Wolfenstein 3D or a Doom, you'd be like, no one would build that structure. This makes mm-hmm. no sense. What is this floor plan? <laughs> And if you matter. if you it's look a at a if you look at it, I don't know if they were fan made or Nintendo made, but some of the uh, maps for the NES Metroid and the Game Boy Metroid games, they mm-hmm. uh, holes go into each other. It does it does not make oh, yeah, sense make in, sense. A, in a in a two D space. So you have to it. you have to go into a Z axis just for those maps to be possible. But uh, they they got better with it with, from Super Metroid onwards, which is great. Um, and it's funny. Just uh, I was just remembering too, going back into my thoughts on first approaching this game. Um, my actual first exposure to Minish Cap, aside from when I played it years ago, but actually going through the whole story, I got the Akira Hemakawa um, mangas. The whole oh, yeah, Legend the, the, of the, the collection. Yeah, oh yeah, the ones that got published in Nintendo Power in part, and then uh, and then were collected later. Yeah, so I got, uh, and I, I've read the Minish Cap one, so it was kind of funny to like, just kind of see how well they interpreted the story and the artwork and such and all the characters into from the game and into this graphic um, manga. Uh, So yeah, it's just kind of funny going like, oh, this is kind of familiar to me, this whole story. And these characters are kind of familiar to me, but not because I've never played this. But um, one thing, as you were saying about how this dungeon was accessible uh, and it was like, yeah, it was a nice little light kind of introduction into the mechanics and to what you expect from it. But I find what all three of the Capcom games did for me uh, is they do a real good job of making you feel like a genius. Yeah, it, like, uh, Zelda puzzles are more about yes. making the player feel smart than truly challenging the player. Except for, you know, Eagle Tower 20 years ago, which truly challenged the player. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. just wait, beyond a shadow one. of a doubt, no arguments. Oh, yeah. Um, Interesting that you said that, though, Greg. Because for me, I, I while the dungeons, I did, I did get that general, you know, endorphin release of like, I am cool. I did that. <laughs> that I found personally a lot more of the those really aha, yay me moments in the in between dungeons, the getting to the next dungeon, like doing the hunt down the three books quest. Yeah, uh, or. I know that. I was not a fan of the hunt down the three books. Oh, I, and that's the thing. I, a lot of them uh, were kind of like what I hinted at at the beginning. I was kind of impressed at, and sometimes annoyed, like with that one, at how long the in-between dungeon uh, quests were. Me too. It was In my head, like I kept it, thinking it would be another quick. dungeon. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, oh, that's how. That's why it's only six. It's because there's actually a lot more padding on the in-between. 
And I think it's That's because it. they don't expect you to, like you and I did, Greg, to just, and I think you as well, Mike, just blast through it in under a week. And they're like, no, you're yeah. going to take your time and talk to people and use kinstones and figure things out and explore every yeah. little hole you missed. And I, I Exactly, like, because, oh, sorry, go, Mike. Um, maybe this speaks to my preferences, but I, uh, I would have preferred if this was more like the, uh, the Oracle games and had eight dungeons and just less... Uh, fewer things to do between dungeons because i i mean i think that legend of zelda games the, the dungeons are the most fun part for most of them and uh, and sometimes i'll even like not necessarily define a zelda game by its dungeons but my a lot of the time my you know key favorite memory of a zelda game will be my favorite dungeon so the yeah. fact that these dungeons are pretty good and we only got six of them, and if you just play the game and don't do a lot of exploring, which I, I mean, I, I found fewer than half of the heart pieces. I did a lot of Kinstone Fusion, but not most of it. Like, I think I would have preferred if this game was eight dungeons and had fewer things like traversing the entire wilds just to find the, the Wind Shrine and, uh, or the Wind Ruins, yeah. or, and the entire um, locating the Missing Library books quest, which I, uh, I found that pretty annoying at times. Yeah, I really thought it was just going to be the one book, and then... The, no, like, okay, the next book is I was like what the hell and then when I, I realized where the first book was positioned I was like oh there's going to be three yeah it was interesting how much there was in between it kind of caught me off guard but it's still I don't know I found the world a joy to explore and as all of these games do uh, it's always very satisfying to see how well they engage the player with the new toys you unlock in each dungeon to be like oh yes. I got this rod I remember that hole I could go to I'm going to go shoot the rod in that yeah. hole. And, oh, I can get up to this ledge now. So cool. And, yeah. oh, there's this guy I can... Yeah, and then they, once you get the Pegasus boots, you get all access to all these stumps. Yeah. It's really neat. Yeah, the, um, they do a good job of gating away content and hiding details that are unlockable with uh, items that you find in dungeons and between dungeons. Like, you, you get the bow between dungeons in this game, which feels a little weird. I'm used to that to being, I don't know, a bit of a more important moment than getting yeah. in, uh, in mm -hmm. items in a Zelda game. But... Uh, they do a good job of making all of your items useful and having the last major one you unlock be the rocks cape and all of the things that were separated by islands or separated by le by ledges yeah. uh, no longer major factors anymore is awesome. And uh, and again, it makes ex exploring and re-exploring the different areas of the game rewarding. Uh, I uh, But again... It's this world feels dense and cool, but I um I, I like dungeons more than re-exploring world. I agree. Maps. It's why I left more than half of that content untouched. Because while it's cool, and now that you know when we're done recording, I won't have that you know sort of Damocles kind of thing of just like I gotta finish this. But uh, I'm definitely <laughs> gonna go back because I want to see a little bit more of it because I'm curious about yes. how much more I, I there I, is. I think the maximum is uh, is twenty hearts. If you in the game with a again forty four pieces yeah. of heart, forty four pieces of heart, three that you start with, and then six that you six that you get in dungeons. But yeah. I only finished with eleven, so I I don't know. I, I have how many is there across the top again? Is it it's, it's, the top? I, I think it's ten on I across 10. the top. Oh, ten. Yeah. So I think I finished with fourteen. Yeah, that's about myself. what I have right now. Yeah. So yeah, I I was underhealthed, maybe, but that's because I didn't do a ton of exploring or a ton of kinstone fusing. After I, I, I kept forgetting to press L to fuse with people. Like I would, I would re-remind myself when I, uh, like when um, you got a yellow kinstone piece to uh, that was required by the story, which only happens a couple times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, when one thing that just to yeah, going back to explore, I want to know what the heck those Gorons are up to. I got two of them. 
There's I mean, two more. I'm yeah, like, what's behind that wall? Know. I need to know. I gotta figure this out. I, I actually, <laughs> I actually did know what it that, is because no, I cheated because I, I figured no, out what it is. But, well, I, I know what it is too because I was um when I was preparing for the final dungeon, I'm like, crap! I only have one bottle. I need to see. I need to see where I can get the other threes just uh, so I can just so I can have some fairies to deal with. Yeah, uh, the fourth one is at the end of that Goron tunnel. But isn't uh, it also spoilers. how you get the, the mirror shield thing? Isn't it also the mirror shield? I don't, oh, I don't know. Say, I is there a shield upgrade? There must be. There yeah, I didn't, that, I didn't that one close. lousy shield. I, 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 I did not get something. close to a mirror shield. Absolutely yeah. not. I, I think did it has to be magic boomerang? boomerang. I did not get a magic boomerang. Wait, is there the three magic? great fairies, by the way? I've only found two. I definitely found one. Usually I'm, not, I'm, not sure if there's, I'm not sure if there's more. Um, I don't remember. Because I found the one that you give the... You throw the bomb in... Or throw an... Yeah, the bomb in or whatever. I think it was the bomb in... And they're like, oh, did you throw in a silver bomb or a golden bomb or just a regular one, the the classic uh, fable? And then there was the other one where you threw in as all your rupees. Yeah, that's yeah. what. That, that's the one I found. That was the one in the woods. Yeah, that's the, the magic one... boomerang one. No, I think. Or was that the, the wallet one? one? No, that was the wallet. That was the wallet one. Okay, the other one was the magic boomerang one. Then I guess. And was that in the uh, mountain? Because uh, I, I, I found, found that one. That sounds about right. Mountain in the mountain, but I haven't returned to it. From when I opened it, at yeah, the I think it was the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you fall, it's got like you go down uh, a side little cliff route that there's just like the two doors oh, cool. or something. Yeah, I'm gonna go yeah. check that out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. But I remember um, looking when I, I wanted bottles just so I could have more health for the final right. dungeon. And uh, the the last one is in that Goron um, subquest near the Lon Lon Ranch. And the problem is finding that one. You have to find in uh, you have to fuse kinstones that are on inscriptions underground and in, in tunnels. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I only found two or three, and there's at least four or five. I know, and I, and I, I remember bumping into a few of those when I didn't have the kinstones, and then my problem now is just like, which ones Where did I unlock yeah. and which ones didn't? Oh, what do I have to boy. go back to? And I might have to, yeah. um, just for, again, I'm an adult. I don't have the time. I may have to go back well, to a guide ooh. on that one. I usually try and pride myself on not doing that for certain games and for certain stuff, but it's like I just I can't waste my time running in and out of and that and the digging is time consuming. Hey, hey, I, I'm not gonna pretend that I got uh, that I've 100 percented a Dark Souls on my own. You beat it <laughs> once on your own, and then when you do new That's game I, plus, yeah. you fill in the blanks. Yeah, I, I, and I, agree I, with that. I don't That's have any. I, do I don't have any shame in using a uh, uh, guides for retro encounter games, especially ones that I've already played. If you but, want to blast uh, it, yeah. I, I I was able to I was able to go through this one without really being challenged. Um, some of the dungeon stuff and boss fights were a little tricky, but it's pretty well communicated how to defeat each of them. The the ones that I liked the best were uh, probably the ones in the in the wind ruins and wind palace just because I, I like the mechanic of shrinking down and then entering the the robot or whatever and yeah, yeah that was a very satisfying dungeon yeah the, the wind ruins is, was a uh, fun i like the uh i like the final boss of that one a lot and the wind palace was a really linear dungeon but had a lot of weird fun jumping puzzles in it and, yeah, last, and i sorry i appreciate that, that uh Eslo called that one out too just like how long does this dungeon go on I'm yeah like, it's, I know, it's, right? it's lengthy but only it's basically single path like i was it i was is. a little surprised at how linear that was i'm used to dungeons being a little bit more you know door a b or c and you got to go back to door b after getting the item through door c but a has the key that you need at the end of c um, yeah like the underground one which was really cool the the one on the marsh or whatever uh yes yeah the wind ruins yeah the wind ruins was the palace the, 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 the wind the, the wind ru- there's the wind ruins and then the palace of winds but yeah the wind it, ruins was the really cool yeah. for that yeah it, it was more non-linear than the most of the other ones and the wind palace felt a little too linear for me uh um may, maybe just because i i don't know i like 90s zelda dungeons uh i just think by the time we you get to that palace uh 
the game really is trying to be like, we have all this other side stuff and you can get back to it. But by that point, and I felt the same way with Dark Hyrule Castle, it's pretty straightforward. It's, yeah, there's not that much creativity in the sense of like, well, if I do I have to go left, right, or forward? It's pretty much, no, 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 this is the path you'd take. And outside of like the, I guess, which order you could have killed the Dark Nut guys, but maybe that is also... Yeah, yeah, yeah Dark okay. Hyrule Castle is a bit of a... a well, it, I mean, and to which point you said, um, starting from the Palace of Winds and then going into Dark Hyrule Castle, it does feel like that they're hurtling towards a finish a little bit. Yeah, they, they really yeah. do and, uh, it. And then they even use story stakes to influence you a little bit be, by, you know, like having a bunch of people turn to stone and the knowledge that Vati's at the end of the castle about to, you know, gain the ultimate power by sacrificing Zelda. That's all pretty dark and I think motivates the player pretty well. But uh, but you, you can leave dark. But you can Hyrule walk outside house. and be like, it's pretty. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I, I did that to get an extra two bottles and uh, I think like <laughs> one more piece of heart. So I just because I had I had those, three out of four, I think. Those bottles being what dog food and the one from your... From grandfather. Your grandfather. Yep, those yeah. are the two. And it makes life easier to, as far as I understand it, for like the Coco Quest when you're trying to chase down Cocos because aren't a lot of people like indoors and out of the way and stuff. Oh yeah, stuff. but isn't that isn't that only a piece of heart you get from the Coco Lady? I think so. Um, that's the one thing I did use the um, a guide for because I couldn't figure out how to get oh. the last like three because and it just turns out that I wasn't stepping quite close enough to the edge of the water. Oh. I just didn't realize. <laughs> I, I just like I just I tried throwing them across and I was like it's not working. I just keep throwing. I just keep drowning chickens. It's I don't get it. But no, I it, once I just watched someone do it and I was like, oh, so it's possible. I just was a hair too far yeah. back. Yeah, so yeah. Why um, can't why can't I make this jump in a Mega Man game? I should I should totally have a sense of space. It's like oh no, in this Mega Man game, Mega Man can you know be almost all the way off the cliff and still stand on it as long as his tiptoes on the is on the as long as there's ledge. a pixel on a pixel yeah exactly <laughs> yeah you, you, but just, I, um, you didn't have a sense of pixel space <laughs> yeah but uh back to like dungeon exploration and using items this one i found too um it's, it shocked me how reliant bombs were as a way to explore the dungeons mm -hmm. as a mainline thing because if i recall in link to the past that was a thing too where there were certain dungeons where there were hidden walls and such if you could bomb and go into it but it was rare that it was a necessary part of the quest it was usually like to find just oh a chest full of rupees or yeah, something stuff. but this one there was a, i found it was they used it a lot more often as a no this is a main room that you need to go to progress further into this dungeon yeah and i remember and I, I liked it one that took me a while to figure not a while but it took me a little bit longer was in dark hyrule castle where there is a spot where you have to and it's clear it's telegraphed you know you bomb this wall to go outside of the castle then on yep. the outside, it doesn't show you where the bomb wall is to go in. If you're inside, you can see it telegraphed, and then you have to kind of yeah. figure it out spatially. But I like that, because that was more hearkening to the original two games of like, okay, a lot more of this is hidden instead of clearly telegraphed. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely begged a little trial and error. I remember, um, we might have mentioned this two weeks ago, Chris, but I remember there was a really annoying... Uh, bomb wall that you have to find in uh, in uh, Turtle Rock and Link's Awakening. Oh yeah, where oh, yeah. They, it's uh, it's right near the end of the game. All there is is a freaking switch in a room, and the only way that you know to go there is by checking your map. And there's one dark room, and you got to mm -hmm. just test the all all the the four rooms surrounding that one to find out where the bomb wall is. It's uh, but they do make a good job of having. Uh, uh, we alluded to this before. They do a good job of having all of your items be useful through to the final dungeon and using them in yeah. creative ways. Again, I was dumbfounded that I had to use the uh, the um, the gust jar and the cane of Pachi against the 
the final final boss of the game. But they yeah. uh, um a lot, a lot of these I I mostly found them as uh, just sort of fun subversions or new versions of old uh of of old Legend of Zelda items like they, this is the most powerful lantern in Zelda history I think because <laughs> it's amazing yeah like the, the, the lantern in um, a link to the past kind of sucks and is uh, and is barely limited you know, by magic right yeah it is limited by magic and and only just lights the way in front of you this one has a is a lantern you can switch on and off you can set mummies on fire way more easily than in a link to the past is not governed by magic and has a 360 cone of light vision instead of a uh like a 90 degree cone of vision this is a this lantern rules it also really likes yeah. to um to announce itself if you have it on when you go into a room just every room is always just like <laughs> just like explodes to life every single time you enter a chamber if you've got it lit fire explosion fire explosion <laughs> um but yeah no it was uh, it was really neat but that being said it was still very frustrating getting around that stupid graveyard um especially when you had to like go back to revisit it when you unlocked some of the stuff like the joy butterflies and stuff from finding homes for the goddesses oh yeah and, i remember and I it remember shows the, you the kinstone goddess thing to unlock butterflies i i know that there was something at the end of that quest line but i didn't see it i only i gave I, I think i uh missed I, this entirely are those the three women in the inn yeah they're, they're, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're from the, oracle of ages and seasons yeah they're they're the three oracles from the oracle duo of games and you uh you, what? you speak really? to you speak to a, like a real estate developer in town who will build three houses and you can have uh you can tell uh the three oracles about the houses and then they'll move into them and once they move into the houses you can uh get they'll give you charms to put in a bottle if you want and if you fight, fuse them, uh, fuse kinstones with them when they're in their new houses, they'll unlock butterflies on the world map. And I, I do not. Which give you little to... bonuses. Oh, they do. I, uh, I, one of I, them lets I, you. Uh... I unlocked one butterfly, but I wasn't sure what they did, and I was ready to go near the end of the game, so <laughs> I gave up yeah. on that. One of them gave me you can shoot your bow faster, uh, and the other one, oh, I forget what it did now. They, but yeah, they all basically have mild improvements to what you can do. So it's useful in that way. And Ooh. I like how the real estate developer was um, uh, Malin's uncle. Uh, oh, oh, uh, do you mean, you don't mean like Terran from Link's Awakening? Or, it was Talon. No, no, no. Oh, Talon, Talon Malin. Yeah, yeah, is the, is the dude from Lon Lon. Okay, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Malin is the, is the brother? Is that his the brother? Yeah, is Talon the, the brother who also in Majora's Mask is the jerk? Okay. I forget which I uh, forget which one. Oh the one looks like Mario. Is that Malin? The the one who looks like Mario in my mind is always uh, the one that uh, what's his name uh, that Mike just mentioned from yeah. Link's Awakening. Yeah, that, 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 Terran yeah that's Taryn from Link's Awakening. It's Marin and Taryn in Link's Awakening. And then I know in it is Talon and Malin. It, yeah, it, I think no, it is in Ocarina of Time. From Ocarina of Time onwards, it's I think Malin and Talon, and they are not yeah. the same people from Link's Awakening. They're not, no. Well, that but for it's sure. kind of funny that, yeah, um, it's confusing. again, that's where one of those nods was brought back to Ocarina of Time. And yeah, like just that. he comes in as the as the real estate developer. He's all slightly shady looking. He's slightly but shady. Yeah. And, and at, at first I was concerned that he was going to build, build his house over the home of a minish. But then, <laughs> but because there, because there's like a minish in a house that says, I love, yeah. I like this house, but, I, but I'm worried. I'm considering moving out. And then you build a house directly over the minish, the minish guy's house. And I'm, and I was concerned a little bit for this, you know, pi for this pixel character. But then, but, uh, but when I went into the new, life. into the newly built house, uh, the minish that was there is in a, is in a mouse hole. And it's like, oh, I love my new place. It's like, oh, okay, this is a happy ending. Um, yeah, no, they, they were definitely into it, which is yeah. great. 
<laughs> but I was um, briefly concerned that some that you know Aminish was about to be extirpated from his home. Yeah, me too. I had that same very same thing. You're like, no. Um, but that being said, as a sorry before we got off on the whole yeah, tangent on the butterflies, the the graveyard it was such a tease when you saw them when you unlocked chests and such mm-hmm. and it came down and like there wasn't any of the the superficial darkness that you need the lantern to go through so i was like oh is the darkness lifted great i'm gonna enjoy going back there to get that thing and no you went back and i was like oh now you my lantern and the crow's flying at me and uh. mm-hmm. it was uh, it was very misleading um, to uh to return to after this tease I... that the video gave I always get extra pleasure out of um, slashing crows in Zelda games because they have the most condescending expressions on their faces. <laughs> it's like, yeah, See, I'm, look, I'm looking cool. down at you. Now I'm going to peck you. Ha. Oh, you Damn. killed me. And that would have been neat to have, like you were, when you were saying, having them being mini and fighting giant things, like fighting a crow uh, when we're miniature would have been really neat. Right? And, like, a fun challenge. That would have been a perfect boss for some miniature dollhouse floating in the sky for this dungeon. But instead we had to fight some, uh, I don't know, dancing manta rays flying over each other in choreographed pa- patterns. I uh, That that boss fight was interesting. And, uh, and, it was uh, tricky. It is may- maybe the... Uh, the craziest use yet of the um before the final boss of you know using the copy links to attack enemies in very specific pa- geometric patterns. <laughs> Which uh, can we talk about how frustrating that mechanic can be sometimes because yeah. it takes so long to charge the sword. And also, if you um like when you <laughs> let's say when you ha- when you're fighting the final boss and have three copy links next to Link in a line, and if one of them gets hit by a lightning ball or a fireball, oh, then you then, then you take then you take damage and you have to start again. So yeah, I, 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 I would have liked if they uh, if that mechanic was faster or smoother, but it, it did make for some creative puzzles at least. But uh, all right, before we um, before we close up, I want I, I do want to address a couple things about the dungeons and items. Uh, do we have favorites? Starting with you, Chris. Favorite dungeon and favorite item. Favorite item in this game would be. I mean. I want to say Rock's Cape just because I'm obsessed with jumping into 2D Zelda always. Uh, going back to the Rock's Feather, uh, blowing my mind as a kid. But uh, it's honestly probably the Gust Jar. Hmm. Apache was cool really? and useful, but outside of the select puzzles, it just never really... I just never used it unless I had to. Whereas the Gust Jar... I really appreciated how that item interacts with so much of the world. Specifically with, you know, different monsters, whether it be the, you know, the flower ones, and how you could just suck them in, or the guys with the metal mask things, suck those off and then them. I just, I get a kick out of, even though it's not the quickest way to dispatch of them, again, from the beginning, how I love the animation side of everything. I just really, 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 really dug uh, that Gus jar. But, it was a little bit like playing a Ratchet and Clank game because almost all of those have a uh, have a black hole gun or a vacuum gun that you can use to suck up enemies yeah, and shoot them at totally. others. And uh, uh, so, do you have a favorite dungeon? And the dungeon I would say was it's weird. Again, played through two today, so the easy <laughs> one to think of is the uh, Wind Palace. And I, but it was too linear. I'm with you on that. That was kind of frustrating. I just liked the design again of it and the color palette. It just was such a nice change of pace. For I, I, I did not love the uh, Kinstone quest to get up there. 
Uh, no, that was annoying as hell. That the five kids. Oh, that yeah. yeah that yeah, was going through the clouds. Like, yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, I don't mind going through the clouds. I don't mind collecting kinstones to unlock something. I, I Everything kinda... else in that game is a rule of three, and that's yeah. the one time they changed that to make it five. Yeah, and since I, it's the I, last I, major dungeon, it's like, come on, guys, come on, let's just get there. Let's I thought it was. There. I thought collecting the kinstones in the wilds area before the wind ruins was better because the just because you yes. know they're um, you're like interacting with the map more but in the clouds you're only going through these gusts and every path looks the same because they're all homogenous clouds yeah it gets really repetitive and very difficult to kind of be like wait did i already go there like, what did I, I miss it's like, i did the whole cycle once but i'm missing one where's the one i missed that's kind of what happened to me i did the whole cycle once before i figured out what i was kind of actually after and then i was like <laughs> oh that's what i need i found like the last one and then i had to go through it all again and then yeah you're trying to figure out where to go through things so totally. it's also fun frustrating when one. you um, do that kinstone quest with the guy from the Sky World, and he gives you the portal to go up. Right, that, that, that's um, a little bit more helpful. <laughs> and um, which is, yeah, I just also, I wasn't able to save, I couldn't figure out what the thing with the grandpa and the ghost was. And then when you went back there after doing the cloud kinstone quest and getting there in the quest line itself, he was gone. So I was like, did I, did I not save him? What's, what happened? <laughs> And like no one ever brings it up. No one ever says like, "Oh yeah, Grandpa died," or anything like that. So That's did you guys you check ever God. do that? Oh no, I, yeah, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I again, I I, um, I I didn't do a lot of quests in the second half of the game because I uh, uh, honestly, um, well, I'll, I'll get to this in a minute. But uh, so Chris, if it wasn't the Sky Palace, it was probably it was the other. It was the Wind Ruins, and okay. it, it mm-hmm. kind of ties into what we said before. I just think. It's the most interesting with what it throws at you. With It does the best job of every dungeon of using you in miniature size. Uh, not just to go into those machines to turn them on. In one case, it's even to turn them off, which I kind of appreciated. Right. At least, yeah. even if it's only once, we're like, eh, it's not just the same thing. I don't know, that, that just felt like start to finish the most creative dungeon with the, the tools you had at your disposal. The last two dungeons were way too straightforward uh, in terms of design, even if I liked the palette and the themes they were going for there. Again, with the whole cloud thing, I just loved the look of it. But it wasn't an interesting dungeon. It's kind of what you had said earlier on. I don't really think there's great dungeon design in this game. I think there's great visual design, and I think there's very intriguing game theory and obtuse game theory to change up the formulas. But the dungeons themselves are kind of weak similar to the most recent Zelda. Yeah, they're very straightforward to be. A, I think it was be a, supposed to be a very digestible yeah, mobile package to so people to get through like, it. Yeah, do your small 5 to 10 minutes or half an hour of just tons of stuff, but it doesn't have to be the dungeon part of yeah, it. Yeah, um, at the risk of derailing the conversation, I mean, Breath of the Wild, I think, has an incredible Zelda overworld, but its uh, its dungeon design is... Is is sort of very empty and lacking personality for the most part, and it makes up with that lack of personality with sheer quantity. Because the the quests for unlocking shrines can get pretty wild, and the shrines but and then the shrines themselves, there's 120 of them, with maybe a quarter or uh, or so unlockable by those quests. Mm-hmm. But um, in general, like in I I, I well I'll, I'll get to the Minish Cap dungeons, but. Uh, when it's my turn, but the Breath of the Wild dungeons, I, I agree, lack personality a little bit, and is one weakness of that game. But uh, Greg, focusing on the Minish Cap again, do you have a favorite item and/or favorite dungeon? Uh, my favorite dungeon, I agree, is also the Wind Ruins because, for all the reasons that Chris said, of just it made the best use of you as the player and your 
and the and the miniature aspect and getting through things. Although my special shout out goes to bringing back the minecarts and such in uh, oh, right. the, oh, the cave of flames. Yeah, the cavern. And oh, is, is, is it cavern with the or fun cave of flames? Cavern of flames. Cavern of flames. Cavern of flames. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the fun just, scream sound effect that goes with. Exactly. I just like because they had the minecarts in one of the in I think they had it in both Oracle of Ages and Seasons. I, I think, think so too. Yes. Uh, but it's just nice having that added animation. Again, the extra character and care that, that was put into this game to give it so much more life and vibrance, that just, yeah, it was just great. Just the, wah! Um, I enjoy that, although that boss was frustrating for a while. Um, yep. And then as far as the the item goes, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's tough because there's some neat new things, but like I... Like, I mean, the rock cave's always great for having that mobility, although I find I got the most use out of the Pegasus boots in this one more so than I probably did in the last one. And strictly really? because you could actually control yourself a lot more than you could in oh, yeah. uh, mm. Link to the Past. Whereas Link to the Past, like once you did it, you were committed. <laughs> you were just yeah. driving, whereas this one you could get some veer out of it. Yeah, that's true. And it's, a, um, it's maybe less control than the Pegasus seeds in the Oracle games, but uh, it, you definitely more control uh, into the Pegasus boots. That did, I didn't think about that. Yeah, so I enjoyed getting a better use out of them. Yeah, because the seeds were tedious because you're swapping in and out when you only have like the two items mm-hmm. um, to to go through and and such. Um, yeah, so that's I think that's my win for me. I just enjoy the added mobility and that it was just so much more useful. Yeah, and I'm with you on the item swapping thing. We didn't really address this in this episode, but in Link's Awakening, no. the Oracle games, and in this game, it's because, because of the limitations of the systems that they're on, there's only really a two-button interface plus L and R, and uh, they use that two, and you can only equip two items at a time. They're all in that, uh, they're all either A or B, and sometimes it's tedious switching between items frequently. It feels worse in the Oracle games, I think, but maybe because yeah. they, I, I think... I think because they expect you to switch them more, and they do let you use uh, um, the R buttons and L buttons for things like talking and uh, and throwing and climbing, which is helpful. But uh, I, I, I I'm basically done with the two button Zelda system for this uh, for this game. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm glad that that uh, I'm glad that systems are basically required to have four face buttons so that we can you know, at least have a Zelda game control like a Link to the Past or Link Between Worlds. Yeah. You actually just reminded me of something that kind of weirded me out for the first chunk of time with this game. Uh, And it had to do with the whole inventory management, is that I'm used to the Link's Awakening slash uh, Link to the Past thing of once you have your items, you can kind of change where those items are in your inventory in terms of when you open up your inventory. I don't think you can do that in Link to the Past. Um, Oh, you can't? Why do I feel... in Maybe the, it's in, just because in the link between oh, Link's Awakening, you definitely can. Yeah, in Link's Awakening, uh, in, in the in the three Game Boy ones, you definitely can, and in uh, Link Between Worlds, there's all kinds of crazy sorting options. But I don't. I th- yeah, in Link's to the not... Past, I'm pretty sure they're locked in. No, they just they were locked there, and they would get replaced if you got a new item to. Right. Mm-hmm. Ignore me because I played that game when I was a child and never since. But Always uh, to me it really annoyed me. Anything. It really annoyed me in this game. I don't like it locked. I really don't like it locked. It's. I get it. It's also dumb because a third of those items you're not going to use. And any human or any person playing that game is going to have their preferences and they're going to want to stick to their preferences outside of the, okay, I need it for this puzzle. I thought, I thought it was an and odd so choice having, having, the, having the bow and bombs all the, way, all the way in the lower yeah, right. That's because... my point. It's just, there's always going to be that item that if you can't <laughs> tailor where it is, it's always going to take that extra three seconds. And it's, 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 and it's, it's, 
tiny thing. My question to that, yeah, that tiny, it's it's a valid tiny point all the same. Is it a question of, is it better to organize it for yourself for your own, just how your brain functions for your own muscle memory? Or is it better to have it completely locked in? So you'll just develop the muscle memory there and you'll just go to it anyways. Like either way, there's a muscle memory to it. Is it more intuitive to you if you get to do it for yourself? Do you prefer that? I would say that the real answer to that question would be that my first Zelda game ever was Link's Awakening. So I'm sure just like how people have, you know, usually your favorite Final Fantasy is the first one you played. At least I think that that rule is pretty consistent across. Generally, yeah. Yeah. The, my, fa- my, favorite so Final Fan- and- my favorite Final Fantasy like game that. is the sixth or seventh one I played. Well, there you go. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so that's really what the answer to that would be. You haven't told us what your favorites are, Mike. Uh, right. Uh, Everything. I am a simple person. I like double jumping, so it's the rock's cape. Uh, <laughs> and it's my favorite thing in, uh, in Oracle of Seasons and in this game. Mode. It, it, was, it was, a, it was a, a joy to, to re-remember, oh yeah, that's in this game too. Because I had truly forgotten about it uh, when we recorded the, um, the Link's Awakening episode. When, and, I, and when I was t- telling Chris about the Rockscape, I was specifically thinking of the one in Oracle of Seasons, which is a game I've played, I think, three times versus Minish Cap uh, once, not counting the playthrough for now. But uh, and favorite um, dungeon, I think it's the Temple of Droplets, just because it's it's not non it's not as nonlinear or exploratory as the uh, as the Wind Ruins. But I like that you sort of navigate one half of the dungeon, then navigate the second half, and then they sort of bring things together by opening up and breaking open the middle and freeing a boss that was frozen in the center of the dungeon for most of the <laughs> for for most of the games uh, for for most of the time traversing the dungeon. It, it felt like a yeah, it, it it felt like you you know were um, completing a circle or you know or like really or getting that callback stinger at the end of a stand up set or something when you when you uh, when you were finishing the dungeon, and so I I like I liked that very much. But I think in general these dungeons are they have personality and I don't think they're badly designed necessarily. But I don't like them as much as my favorite dungeons in a number of other Zelda games uh, for a lot of the reasons Chris uh, mentioned. They they're a little formulaic and a little linear, and mm-hmm. and when they have a defining gimmick, it's not it's not as good as the you know the best Zelda gimmicks. It's um it, it's not you know the the floor collapsing in the Eagle's Tower, or uh, um or or you know going um or doing a dungeon twice as a dun- as a child and as an adult in uh in the Spirit Temple. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, yeah. It, like these dungeons are fine, but they're Zelda average or Zelda. No, it doesn't have the game. shock and awe effect of other games mm-hmm. in the series. And uh, and the no. moment, and the moments of scale, which are which are yeah. pretty amazing sometimes in the three D Zeldas. Like I wish they they were better here because sometimes you're shrinking literally to an inch high than to full height, but you don't always get a sense of scale or massiveness from these dungeons, which would have been cool. But I, I think the gimmicks of Minish Cap work, and the items are fun. A lot of the items like are just better versions of old Zelda items because this is the best Zelda lantern, the best yeah. the best rock yeah. item, the uh, shoot um like the mole mitts are better than a shovel. There's a there's a lot of fun interpretations and twists on Zelda formula in Minish Cap, but still I think it's a average or maybe even maybe even slightly below average Zelda game. Like I like this game, but I I I, I don't think I loved it. I'm and I don't yeah, want I'm, I'm not a comfort I definitely food. think it's replayable though. Yes, it's comfort food. It's yeah. a solid game. It's not bad, but it's not as we as you just said. Yeah, you're not gonna have your mind it's blown. not great, exactly. 
but it's Except very the, charming. The yeah, I, and I'm still very much on that boat. But it's very charming, very heartwarming. It's the music it is good. I thought, the, I, thought the, I thought the soundtrack very was excellent good, for this. Especially for a GP. The music is very nice. It yeah, the, the soundtrack was excellent for this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, find it's very comforting. All the trapping. Yeah, that's exactly. It's a very comforting game. There was nothing that made me unhappy about playing it. However, it's now definitely the, not amazing. And you brought up something interesting there, Mike, a bit of like a missed opportunity almost in some of the dungeons in using the scale, in using the yeah, minish I, aspect. Yeah, I, like I there's want, no small cracks all, you could go into. I wanted all of the dungeons to be like uh, the Temple of Droplets and the Deepwood Shrine, where you're where they really play on the um, on the scale thing and have many, if not all of the bosses, be giant versions of regular Zelda enemies. I, I was very tickled by that concept, and part of why Temple of Droplets, I think, is my favorite one, because you're fighting a giant Octorok. Yeah. Uh, but the Which was uh, a tough fight, actually. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, a ch- more challenging than average fight. I think I think maybe the only harder one was Vati at the end. But the yeah. uh, um, and, and and the challenge level in uh, Minish Cap I think is reasonable. It, I, it never felt unfair, but was at times challenging. Um, oh yeah, it definitely got your 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 blood pumping a bit now yeah. and again. So, but but in but general, like, they... like I, I think that there's again it might be because I'm more goal oriented as a uh, when I play adventure games than uh, than explore oriented. Um, it's, it's part of why I. I mean, I'll, I'll get impatient if I think a game is wasting my time with empty space, or and uh, and doesn't do a good job of you know providing me carrots on sticks. It's uh, maybe that's just it's probably just part of my personality. I, so I you're like, not a Minecraft fan. No, <laughs> I am. <not. laughs> but um, but I I like Zelda games with good dungeons and good uh and good moments, and I think that Minish Cap had had okay moments in dungeons but not enough of either of them for it to really be one of my favorites and i'm not i'm Get not good minish cap <laughs> i'm not I'm, and uh, and i mean this is I, I don't mean to be rude to our fans who who voted this one into retro encounter but uh, <laughs> what were you thinking no. <laughs> it's like oh. it's like it's like come on guys like a link between worlds was right there <laughs> but <laughs> but uh the which is a great game too yeah and a link between worlds i think is my favorite but um they yeah. uh this is a good Zelda game. It's comfort food. It does. It has an, a crazy amount of density to the world. It does really good by Zelda collectibles. I mean, I collected. I collected a thousand minus one seashells almost instantly, but was not yep. interested in picking up those figurines or dungeons or or. or, or uh, that was a really statues. tedious thing. Yeah. Because it's really neat getting your little Smash Bro figurines, but. It takes um, 15 seconds to use this vending so machine. Long. Damn it. It's so dumb. If they made it one where second instead of machine? 10. I missed this. Because I the, had uh, 999, and I was just like, where do I oh, even use it's, 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 uh, it's a hidden um, cave in the southwest corner of the town. Yeah, yeah. across the water, there's a bush yeah. you go underneath. I got to do that. Um, to see what that's like. And there's a guy down there who you trade them in for, and you get these little figurines. And if you get all of them, it's, it, it leads to, I think, the very last heart piece. Yeah, it's, it's a gacha. <laughs> It's it's a it's a gacha system, kind of like oh, the uh, kind of like the items in a Danganronpa game. So the uh, more so shells you trade in, the, the, yeah, the less likely you are to get a repeat figurine. Yeah. This feels like the dog the shrine system. in the uh, Sony skews of Undertale. Oh, maybe. Uh, but you know, it, it's a gacha mini game that I think does have a heart piece at the end. But it takes so long just to use the vending machine once yeah. that that oh. I I got I got two trophies and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Okay, so I'm, I looks like I'm never gonna use secret seashells ever again. 
Right. Yeah. Cause like, I love the, um, I'm someone who enjoys a bit of that, the lore and it's nice to kind of explore a bit on the world. So when you get the figurines, it's very cool getting those little descriptions of this, pe these people, oh, these yeah. no, no, no. monsters. The I like that. Themselves but just, are great, it's but... <laughs> so tedious to go through that it was not worth the, the price of admission. Yeah. So, I mean, this might have among like higher than average amount of Zelda collectibles and items, which is remarkable in that the world is smaller than average, but it, that's not my favorite Pattern. part of, yeah, it's not my, like my favorite parts of Zelda are cool dungeons, cool boss fights, cool weapons. And, uh, and I don't think Minish Cap delivered the, at the highest level of my favorite things about Zelda. So I'm, like I've I've only played tel ten Zelda games to completion, but I think Majora's uh, Majora's Mask, excuse me. I think Minish Cap, Cap ranks like ninth or tenth. Different people with piece of headgear. Um, the thing I wanted to bring up just quickly before we wrap it up is, uh, yeah, I'm assuming you've both played Ocarina Time before you played Minish Cap. No. Yes. Really? Okay. I didn't. I played Minish Cap around o four o five. I I played Minish Cap in o five. I'm pretty sure, and I didn't play Ocarina of Time until I had a GameCube version in 2010 or 2011. Oh well, then this may only resonate with Chris. But when you got to the <laughs> to the graveyard, and you got to that hut, were you just yep. like, "Campy's gonna be like, in there"? That's amazing. Yeah. Like and I was, I, just, I was like, gonna open this door. He's I gonna be there. Alam on ranch, yeah. And when it was him, I was like, "This is the best. This is that's why it's comfort <laughs> food." There's just so it many so little touchstones of uh, game. I mean, Ocarina of Time was such a happiness game for me. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent, man. You nailed it. <laughs> yes. I know. I never owned an N64, and I didn't. Um, play any 3d zeldas until i decided to you know stop being stubborn about it and i played three of them in a row in uh tw in the 2011 2012 range so and <laughs> and, and, and i played ocarina of time on a gamecube disc kind of hey look oh, kind of similar for me in terms of how i've approached the whole zelda series sure uh, but yeah i mean totally get that but anyway, um, I, I mentioned that yeah. on a different Zelda episode uh, this month, which uh, which I guess hasn't been published yet because we're, uh, we're we're recording several episodes close together. Uh, well, by the uh, time you've heard this, yes. yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that episode is technically in the past, uh, but not it's not about a link to the past. All right. Oh so, my gosh, are we gonna time travel, jump through all of our uh, our different podcasts via swords and <laughs> temples? How did and I such? get here? You should oh, just yeah. splice random oh, yeah, random I'm, lines of I'm, confusion <laughs> and fear. I may have accidentally made references to future episodes in this podcast, for all I know. <laughs> uh, speaking of time travel, I did the wit the Wind Ruins twice because I'm an idiot. What? I was playing it on the virtual console, and I made the uh, restore point. But instead oh, no. of creating a new one, I mm. accidentally loaded an old one and thus lost oh. about an hour yep. and a half, two hours of progress. It was... It was rough. Uh, I, I, was I was playing this on a physical GBA, so I didn't have that issue. But I was playing um, our our game for next month on a on the Super Nintendo Classic, and I accidentally lost about an hour and a half or two hours of progress. <laughs> oh, by, by, because I Mike. yeah, because I pressed A instead of Y when I was loading in the new uh, the new. Um, the, the new save state for uh, for the, or restore points, whatever they called them. But anyway, I just like to imagine you were crying out, "Why? No, I was, why? I was upset. Why weren't you a?" I turned off the machine and switched to a book. I was done with video games for a while after that. <laughs> but, but but and anyway. that was uh, that was less than a week ago, so it's fresh in my memory. But um, anyway, let's uh, stop living in the present and talk about the future a little bit. Chris and Greg, thank you so much for joining me on this episode, both of you, and thank you, listeners. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, anytime. yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah, I was just excited to to come in at this point in RPG <laughs> fans history with the whole Legend of Zelda stuff happening. And I was like, I can't contribute to one of my favorite game series. So when you asked me to do this, I was like, yes, 
I want to be a part of it. I want to contribute to something Legend of Zelda. So thank you. Yeah. Right. Um, I should mention at the time of recording this, Greg is the newest recruit to RPG fan staff. You, um, Greg, yes, you are please. a uh, probably going to be a regular co-host on Random Encounter alongside Derek Heemsbergen and uh, and Caitlin. Yeah. Oh, and and Caitlin as well, right? And um, and this is your first ran, uh, retro encounter episode, so you got in here just the nick of time before Zelda month was over. Good for you. Yeah, I was really really happy that it came at this point because I was trying to offer, but all the articles and stuff have been done for the features, as everyone has now been reading through. So I was just like, no. So it was yeah. Thank you. Right now, I will get to <laughs> for those this opportunity. I will get into those articles in just a moment. But uh, first, listeners, thank you for listening to us for uh, this entire episode. Um, we uh, and thank you for voting for the Minish Cap in that poll that we conducted in February. But uh, looking to the future a little bit, next week um, is the first Thursday in May. We're gonna have a episode that's um, a little more negative than usual. Uh, I don't want to spoil everything about it, but uh, I mean today we've been very celebratory as we often are in our in Retro Encounter. But next week we're gonna talk about things about video games we don't like as much. Uh, that the episode's already in the can, and it was a lot of fun to record. And uh, following that episode, we are doing two episodes on Super Mario RPG, Legend of the Seven Stars, so look forward to those in May. Um, two people on those podcasts have not played the game before, so I was uh, a little bit appalled that we have such you know young babes on the on the podcast that haven't played one of my favorite Super Nintendo games, but it was really fun getting a fresh perspective from them alongside me and the other panelists who are you know grizzled veterans in our uh, late 20s, early 30s. Uh, and, and following... Um, Following the first of those Mario RPG episodes, we are doing a sequel episode to something we did in 2016, so please look forward to that one as Ooh. as it uh, comes as well. <laughs> uh, and also, I, I mentioned uh, Greg and Derek on Random Encounter. That's our that's the other podcast on RPG Fan. They um, Derek took over the podcast from Rob Simon recently, and he's going to try to adhere to a two a month schedule, which he's been doing. He is, yeah. Which he's been doing very successfully so far. It's uh, I and his he's done an excellent job on the early episodes. Um, I'm on one of I'm on one of them for April, but it's uh, it. That That's be, why it's good. Now I understand. That, that might be far in the past. Now. No, no, no. The the Solosi episodes. Quality mic. Because it, it's going to be me stammering about Monster Hunter for about twenty of my twenty-five minutes. That's so good. I love it so much. I I really do. But uh, listeners, uh, enough about the future. Let's talk about. Well, I guess also the future. If you want to talk to us in the, sometime in the future, the best way to do so is to email us retro at rpgfan.com. Go to rpgfan.com and check out all of the cool content on the site. There are forums, there are features, there are reviews, there are music reviews with uh, tracks in the sidebar. We have pages on Instagram, Facebook, and... Uh, There's Discord now. And Discord and Twitch. So um, if you check the front page of RPG Fan, you can find the schedules and links to all of those wonderful things. In the month of April, we released a four-part se- series called Hylian Highlights, which I might have accidentally called Hyrule Highlights a week ago or two weeks ago. <laughs> and I apologize for that. Um, it turns out there's a lot of weird Zelda alliteration you can do. Um, and uh, it's a sort of a disorganized list of a bunch of our favorite Zelda items, moments, songs, dungeons, settings, characters, everything. It's a, it was mostly designed by Stephanie Sabidlo, our social media manager who loves Zelda um, about as much as anyone on the website. And it was a lot of fun putting that feature <laughs> together. So please check that out. If it's not on the front page anymore, because you're, maybe you're listening to this episode in 2020 for all I know. If you go to RPG fan dot com go to features and look for 
That's the address, yep. <laughs> yep, yeah, go to features and then um, check around April 2018. That's where you find that Zelda mini feature. Uh, so, what else is there to talk about? Uh, review us on iTunes. Google Don't confuse Play, it please. with uh, Hylian hair highlights. Hylian hair highlights, that's true, yeah. There's, I don't know, yeah. the, the hair in Zelda, I don't, I don't know, there's not a ton of interesting Zelda hair. Is there? Who has the best Zelda hair? We if you just want to get that luscious blonde look or luscious pink look, if you're looking at Link to the Past, I mean, just look no further than Hylian hair highlights. Who has the best hair in Legend hey. of Zelda? Now, I think we should do an entire episode about this. Oh my god. Oh my uh, gosh, yes. In, in Ocarina of Time, I guess, because it's a tiny bit poking out underneath the hood, so know. it looks like what's Beatles actually going on cut. under there. I like a nice... I like a nice... A nice Goron shock of hair and beard. That's not bad. If for the ones that have it. At any rate, I digress with dumb jokes. I apologize. You were telling them to shout out to us. Sorry to derail you, Mike. Yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, please review us on iTunes or Google Play or however you're listening to us. We enjoy and appreciate all feedback. And now, before we shut the door on this completely, uh, Chris, how can listeners reach you? Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at, at Chris Gebauer or find me through my website, ChristopherGebauer.com. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Or on the boards as Chris Kubauer. That's Do we use um, the boards anymore? All right, then. If you if you are the one person <laughs> who wants to somehow use the boards, that's who I am. Very good. Uh, <laughs> Greg, um, how can listeners reach out to you? Uh, I'm very similar as an actor, as Chris is, too. Put my name out there. If you search Greg Downwood, you'll pretty much find me anywhere. I'm at Greg Downwood on Twitter, on Instagram, on IMDb, all that fun stuff. I'm not as fancy okay. as Chris. I don't have my own personal website yet, but, you know, all in due time. <laughs> I just think it's because I'm older, not because there's better. Very different. <laughs> yeah, Very and different. then I'm Peregrine on the boards if you happen to go there. Yeah, this is an interesting balance of uh, panelists we have today. It's, it's, there's actor, actor, and sewer plan worker. <laughs> hey, someone <laughs> little, who actually does real work that affects people and two people who are trying very hard to stay as children for their entire lives. <laughs> and let's be honest, if you just had just two actors on this, this podcast would have stopped being about Minish Cap a long time yeah, ago oh, without yeah. someone with your constructive, uh, yeah. logical mind keeping us on track. You probably would have got lost oh, in Zelda impressions at some point. It would have been fun. <laughs> another day, another time. Uh, sure. <laughs> You're like, no, right. not on my watch. All right. <laughs> Uh, listeners, if you want to reach me, the easiest way to do so is via Twitter. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time, and at Evoker for Dogs when I get weird and talk about Japanese superheroes. I am Monsoon on the forums and Monsoon Mike on Discord. Uh, I guess that's about all. Um, thank you. Good night and good luck. Mm-hmm.